Yes, indeed. What's going on, y'all? It's your main man, Big Wayne, for an episode of Calling the High Seed. And come on in here, the water's just fine. All right. I want to hit y'all with something today. Don't be scared to fail. I'll say it one more time for the ones in the back. Do not be scared to fail. I know y'all heard this, or at least I like to think y'all have, but failure is a key to success. You can learn way more from a loss than you can in a win. Does it feel good? It doesn't. Makes you feel like you ain't good enough. Make you feel like you wasted your time. Made you feel like you didn't deserve it. All that stuff, despair, misery, it comes with it. But let me tell you something. That's part of it. That's part of it. Because you learn, when you lose, you learn what doesn't work. So when the next time you try, because you will get back up, I repeat, you will get back up. So when you try again, you will know what doesn't work. Oh, I can't go that way. I can't do this. I can't say that. I can't be like this. I can't listen to that. Because that led you down the road to losses. So it forces you to try something different. And that forces you to grow. Because, you know, doing the same thing over and over and never work, you know, it's the insanity thing. But you try something different, that's growth. It shows you can adapt. And when you grow, when you adapt, when you change, when you keep on going and never give up and keep the faith, you know, things I've been saying from the jump. That's when you start to achieve the real victory. And also, when you win, because you will win, what you want, you keep going for it, you will get it. You will appreciate it so much more because of what you went through, because of the door slammed in your face, because of the rejections, because of the losses, because of the defeats, because of the beatdowns. But when you do hold that trophy up, when you do get that promotion, when you get that girl, you get that guy, you get that car, that house, whatever it is you trying to get, you will remember when you didn't have it. And when you do get it, remember how you got there. It was because of those losses. Because a lot of times, sometimes losses you're going to see by yourself. A lot of people not even going to see the losses sometimes they will sometimes they won't just depending on you know the situation but they are critical so don't be scared of that embrace it it's gonna make you tougher and ultimately you'll be better for it so don't be scared to fail it's even cool to fail sometimes sometimes it's even cool but what is unacceptable you cannot try it's cool to fail. It's not cool to not try. So when you're on that journey, there's going to be some failures, but don't be scared of it. Embrace it. Because that's how winning is done. Now, let's start the show. <laughs> y'all, y'all ever have a friend? And they in a relationship with somebody that they really ain't got no business being in. He don't do nothing for the other person. She don't do nothing for her. He don't do nothing for him. They argue. They break up. Talking about they ain't going to never get back together. And then they end up getting back together. Just dragging each other down. Ain't going nowhere. Just a bad situation all the way around. 
And so when you talk to that person, you just sitting to yourself like, why are you with them? And you know what they say? We're going to make it work. I love them. This is my person. This is my life. You stay out of it. And so what do you do? You try to do what you can. You try to try to see if they listen to reason. But ultimately, it's their relationship, their problem. So you just kind of got to sit back and watch. There's nothing. There's only so much you can do when you watch your friend in a bad relationship. But ultimately, it's their relationship, not yours. So you got to sit back and watch. Now, I'm pretty sure you're probably asking yourself, now, Diesel, what you talking about? I did not come here for this. I came here for the sports, not the love. I say that to say this. The Cowboys are in a toxic relationship. And I ain't even talking about Jerry. I'm talking about Jerry is in, well, I guess I am talking about Jerry. Jerry and this coaching staff is a bad relationship. The players don't believe in it. The fans are starting to chirp. And what can we do? All we can do is sit back and watch. Jerry said it himself. He has his guy. He has his guy. And you know what? <laughs> he right. Jerry has found this guy. It's somebody that's going to listen to Jerry. It's somebody that's going to kowtow to Jerry. It's somebody that's going to keep Jerry in the headlines. It's somebody that's going to submit to Jerry. And it's somebody that's going to give the credit to Jerry. And it's somebody that's going to say yes to Jerry. And that's what Jerry won't. That's what he won't. So he's found this guy. This is the guy Jerry won't. The guy he was looking for is right there in his office. Now, never mind the fact the players don't want him. Never mind the fact the players quit on him. Never mind the fact it seems like the Cowboys are a little outdated. Never mind the fact the offense, it don't look no different than what it did last year. The offense was fine. Never mind the fact the defense has gotten worse. Never mind the fact they two and five. Never mind the fact that they're going to be on the way to the lottery. Never mind the fact it's probably going to be more the same when they do get healthy. Never mind the fact they starting to, to cut players and, you know, trading players. You know, things that's trying to make them put some discipline down. Never mind all that. The point of the matter is Jerry has his guy. It's not the right guy, but it's his guy. Listen to what he said. He said he has his guy. You know, it's the difference between what you want and what you need. That's the problem when you are, you know, a billionaire. You, that's probably one of the few problems when having more money than what you know what to do with. You can get everything you want. And when you're getting everything you want, you lose sight of what you need. And I think that is what's happened with Dallas. That's what's happened with Dallas. So what can we do? Nothing. All we can do is sit back and watch. Just like you got to watch your friend, date that person, they ain't got no business being with. You got to watch them go down there, watch them get talked about, watch them get laughed at, watch them get hurt. That's what we're going to do with Dallas. Watch them lose. Watch them get drugged. Watch them get their face kicked in. Watch them give out bad contracts. But hey, Jerry got his guy. <laughs>
So what can we do? Just watch. Never mind what's right. Because it's Jerry's team. He's going to do what he want to do. So at this point, I don't even know what we're talking about here. Really? I mean, what are we talking about? Jerry got his guy. And the coach happy. Players ain't happy. But, hey, what does that matter? What does that matter? Because they're probably all commodities as far as he can see anyway. So far as the Cowboys, ain't really no critiquing. We just going to sit there and laugh at them, talk about them every week. We know what the problem is. That's We've been known that. There ain't no mysteries here. The mystery's solved. Ain't nothing we can do about it. So you just got to sit there and watch. This is almost like being on a plane when you know it's about to crash. You just got to sit there and watch it. And that's all we can do. But, hey, at least Jerry got his guy. <laughs> now, let me segue to this. Coming in, I got an interview like no other. My man, Xavier the founder of the Sports Wave podcast. A great interview, top flight interview. Some good nuggets in here. I think we all are in for a show with this interview. All right, y'all. Now, coming to the stage, we got the founder of the Sports Wave, the one that found me, y'all. We got Mr. Xavier. Now, X, what's going on? You doing all right? I'm doing great, Wayne. I'm really proud of you for all this, and I'm glad you're having me on the show. Right on, right on, right on, right on. So, look, I try not to be a prisoner of the moment. I try not to be. I try to give that, let some stuff breathe, but I ain't gonna lie. I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid on old old Herbie, Justin Herbie. What what you think? Am I am I too soon? Am I late? Am I is he the real deal? I got to be honest with you, Wayne. I think you're a little late on this one. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Justin Herbert through the draft process. Most people had Herbert as their quarterback three uh, behind, of course, Burrow and Tagovailoa. But I actually had Herbert as my second best quarterback with the highest ceiling um, over Burrow, that is. So I've been on this train for a while. It was evident while he was at Oregon that he was being misused. Uh, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of the Oregon football team, really wanted to establish a downfield running attack. And a lot of Oregon's offense was predicated on like bubble screens, uh, power runs, really like one read plays. So Herbert's full potential really wasn't unlocked, but it was so evident when they were able to call regular passing plays that you'd see in the NFL that he had all the talent in the world. And especially during like the senior bowl and whatnot, that pre-draft process, he was making some unbelievable throws. And especially in that senior bowl, his drafts with NFL teams. And now of course his first NFL start, he was literally told just a few minutes before that he was going to play in that game. Right. And you saw what happened. I mean, he sailed the ball early over Keenan Allen's head, but over the rest of the game, he really got comfortable. And each week he's just clearly progressing. I remember there was a play in the first half of that um, Chiefs game, his debut. He was running, and rather than um, just continue running and get the first down, he kind of threw a bad pass, and it was deflected. And he did that in the second half, and it ultimately led to a pick. And this past week against the Jaguars, that same exact play happened where they were driving down the field, and he was rolling out, and he had a receiver downfield. And rather than have a risky throw, he just decided to tuck and run, and he got the first down. So just little things like that. He's learning each week. He's really progressing. And I think the thing that's really special with Herbert is that he's doing this with Anthony Lynn as his head coach. No disrespect to Lynn, but he's not like Andy Reid. He's not 
getting the treatment that Patrick Mahomes, for example, got when he got into the league, or even Zach Taylor, who Sean McVay ranted and raved about when right. he was under him in uh, Los Angeles, who now is Joe Burrow's head coach. So even though Anthony Lynn's respected, he's not this like offensive minded guru as respected as uh, those other coaches that I just mentioned. So I think the fact he's doing it now is just remarkable. Shoot, I could argue he could make he did it in spite of old Lynn because Lynn was still trying to hold on to Tyrod. It took Tyrod puncturing his lung before he believed in Herbie. But I, I'm, I'm so I'm like, oh, because I knew him, but you know, you never know how rookie is gonna translate. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let me see it again. Let me see it again. And man, I'm talking about. I think he is a staple in that in that division. I think that's I, they need to load up the house on him, put everything you can around him. I'm I'm all in on Justin Herbert. I'm all in on it. I didn't I didn't see too much. I know I, I can't just pick out diamonds in the rough, but damn it, I know a cornerstone when I see one, and that's it. That's I think, it. Yeah, I think the uh, the thing I just want to add, too, about all of this is he's been doing this with kind of shuffling cards around him. Um, he's already not had uh, Keenan Allen for a game. He's already not had Mike Williams for a game. Hunter Henry left a game early. Austin Eckler, of course, got hurt against that game mm-hmm. in uh, Tampa. So he's doing this with kind of these cards shuffling around him. Even uh, backup tight end Virgil Green got hurt this past Sunday on a beautiful throw by Herbert and the corner of the end zone. So there's been a lack of stability, especially up front with, uh, he's had multiple backup guards start when he's played. He's just now finally getting his team somewhat healthy around him. And so doing that with kind of unknowns around you and all these injuries, I think it's a very positive sign that he's been able to do this with a lack of stability. Yeah. I, I think, I think Herbert's going to be the goal. And I think the ch- quiet is kept. The Chargers may be a destination. I think Los Angeles, new stadium. I think it's the best stadium out there. I think it's, I think it's going to be good things to ha- happen, but they got to stack now because that division is <laughs> tough sledding out there. Now it's, I think I'm, I'm scared to ask you this one. I'm scared to ask you, but Cam Newton. Now, you know how I feel about Cam. Cam is my boy. I can't defend the numbers, but I'm of the mindset he can turn it around. I mean, he hadn't had the reps. You know, he had the corona there for a little bit. The facility was locked down for a little bit. I think he can kind of bounce back and turn it around. Do you think it's going to get better for Cam Newton? I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Ann. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I was in the mindset when uh, the Patriots signed Cam Newton that it was kind of a desperation signing by the Patriots because obviously they had no preconceived knowledge that the Panthers were automatically going to cut ties with Cam. Matt Rule, of course, was hired by Carolina and in his first press conference said, you know, they were going with Cam. So no one knew necessarily that they were going to get Bridgewater and uh, dump Cam to the sidelines. So there is no master Belichick plan that he knew Cam was going to be cut and available on the waivers this year. So, it kind of felt to me like it was just like, okay, let's give it a shot. There, there was no like plan in place for Cam to be on the team. But with that being said, I wanted to believe in Cam. You know, the tape said otherwise. I, I haven't been a Cam Newton fan um, in a long time. I think his pocket <laughs> presence is bad, and I'm going to get to that uh, shortly. But, you know, I had at least a little hope that he could turn it around and prove me wrong because – I do live in New England, and I am a Patriots fan. So being that I am a Patriots fan, I just wanted him to prove me wrong 
and to prove the doubters wrong. But it became really apparent in the Las Vegas game right before he got Corona that that was not going to be the case. Uh, I remember early on in that game, he missed some really easy throws, and Belichick just did not believe in him after that point. The rest of the game was all screens, uh, power runs. Rex Burkhead went off. That Basically, that entire game was just screens and design plays where um, there was only one read, where Cam wasn't making reads as a quarterback. And to me, that just showed a lack of faith in Cam's arm. And that's when kind of the thing started going downhill for me. It was that uh, Las Vegas game in week three. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, He, of course, missed the Kansas City game. And then in his game back, he just didn't look good at all. That Denver game, he just really struggled throughout uh, with wide open throws. I mean, people are going to complain about the Patriots weapons, which I understand are horrible. And I'll be the first to say that Belichick did a very poor job of assembling an offense around Cam Newton. I'm not going to deny that, but, and here's the big but, Brady had basically the same offense last season and went 12-4, and four, and he was able to make these wide-open throws. And he was yeah, but able he, had to, to, he had a defense a little bit. Oh, I'll, I'll, little... I'll get into everything. I'll get into everything, Wayne. I got you. Don't worry. I come prepared. Okay. And so this, this past week just showed everything wrong with Cam, okay? So – Cam's best asset is what? I'm going to ask you a question now. What is Cam's best asset in your opinion? Running. Of course. Personally, I think he's really great. He's great at no huddle. He's great at no huddling option. I completely agree with you. And I knew you'd get the answer right. That's why I asked the question. So, of course, his best asset is running the football. Um, And what teams have done, what I've noticed is, and they've done this since 2015, um, some teams try to do it against Lamar, but it's a little hard because Lamar's um, offense is a bit better predicated to him as an athlete than uh, the Patriots is to Cam. And, of course, Lamar's just naturally a better athlete than Cam is at this point in time. But Correct. what happens is opponents, opposing defenses stand up their, their ends, and mm. what they're going to do is collapse the pocket outside. And what they do is they play a lot of zone against New England because you have that middle linebacker in the middle of the field, so he could act as a spy. You don't really know if he's spying you or not, if he's not turned around. So basically what's happening is they're forcing Cam to throw the football. And what I've noticed is Cam just really can't throw the football that well. He's not been a pocket passer, not since his time at Auburn. He's never been. Throughout his entire career, he's always struggled with being a pure pocket passer and accuracy. When he's had great accuracy – He's had really simple offenses where he wasn't asked to really make reads. It was bubble screen, Christian McCaffrey across the middle. It was very simple things. And that is backed up by his like bottom 10 yards per attempt. So now that he's being asked to actually make reads and run an offense like that and what Brady did for all those years, you just can't do it. And I think you can blame that on the offense isn't designed for Cam necessarily i mean they try but with the limited otas it's been hard to develop a full offense around cam but i think the other thing you could say is well cam's a quarterback and his lack of ability to throw accurate passes kind of hampers his quarterback abilities you know he is a quarterback he should be able to throw accurate passes and without that it's kind of hard i i i i just I, I I guess and look, I'm a Cam guy. I'm a Cam guy. I can I know he's he's not Brady. He ain't he ain't never been precision. 
But I've seen them. I've seen them hit it on the money a lot of times. I've seen it. I've seen it. If he had like a a Philly Brown or a Ted Ginn, so I just, I've I've seen it, and I just I just believe he can turn it around. There's a lot of time in the season left. I, I compared it. It's almost like you know it's gonna be peaks and valleys. It's gonna be some highs with Cam. It's gonna be some lows. Yeah. He does force some things to happen. He do something. Well, I don't know what he sees sometimes. Some of them, I'm still wondering some of these. What he? I, I I can't defend that. But you can win with him. You can win. Belichick got him for for a reason. Now, I don't know what the reason is, but he saw something in him. And I'm of the mindset. I, I said it on my other show. Cam to me is a top ten quarterback. Oh. I think he's still about seven. Oh. Seven. Oh. I, about seven. Seven or eight, man. Seven oh, or eight. Oh, I ain't gonna say man. top five. I know better. But all right, let me let me dissect a little bit of what you said. So you brought up I, I'm gonna be um going over a few things that you just said. So buckle up. All right. So the first thing you mentioned was the Ted Grin uh Ted Ginn, excuse me, Philly Brown. So you're talking about like deep threats down the sideline, whatnot. Okay. Yeah, home run so hitters, yeah. Cam Newton's accuracy downfield this season has been just putrid. I mean, I've seen every single snap, and the reason his accuracy has been putrid is because his mechanics have been putrid and they've regressed. And I can't necessarily explain why they regressed. I can't blame a lack of OTAs on like regular quarterback mechanics being regressed because I've seen multiple other quarterbacks do just fine this year. Like, it's not like every quarterback is taking up the joint so that you got to blame cam on that. He's had all off season to work on mechanics and it, especially being in the league as long as he has. So basically what I'm seeing is, and Darren Olofsky, um, the former backup quarterback for the Detroit Lions and now ESPN analyst had a great uh, tweet about this. His mechanics, his arms are looking towards the sideline a bit. And what happens is when your body is painted uh, towards the sideline and your feet are just super parallel to the line of scrimmage, you lose your power in your arms because you're so reliant in just your pure arm ability. And that's so hard. I don't care if you're Josh Allen. If you're just relying on your arm and not using your hips and you're moving your body in such a way where you're like stepping into your throws or in whatnot, you're not going to have that accuracy. You're not going to have that power behind that throw. And that's kind of what we've seen a lot with Cam. I think the number one issue with Cam this year has been missing short. He does it a lot. He's not the Josh Allen of old where he just overthrew everybody. Cam, we all know, has a big arm. He shouldn't be missing these guys short as much as he is. And that goes back to mechanics. So I think calling him even a top 25 quarterback right now is blasphemous because he's not doing it on the ground, clearly. Uh, we saw that they're kind of forcing him to throw the ball, and he's not making these throws. So if you're top 10 and they're letting you throw the ball and you're just missing wide-open guys short, how are you supposed to be considered a top 10 quarterback? I understand the love for him, and, I mean, I love some players too, and – even I'm irrational with some guys that I have, you know, love for and, and whatnot. But I think there comes a time where you have to be like, okay, you have to separate the love from just the football intelligence. And I know, you know, your stuff and I know you're a smart guy, but I think you're just caught in this, this mist, if you will, of cam love. And you just kind of have to let it go and remember the good old times of Sam and in 2015 and in his rookie season, which was absolutely amazing. He's just not the guy anymore. There's this thing called regression, and he's clearly regressing as a quarterback. And will he find it eventually? I'm just not so sure of that. I would say more likely than not, that's not the case. He's in, he's entering almost a decade in the league at this point, and yep. he's not getting better. And I think 
it's very rare in sports where a guy regresses and just gets better again. I'd say that's a very rare thing to happen. So unless he works with some quarterback guru and Cam can magically throw again, a little more accurate. Like I said, he's never been a pocket passer and he's never been super accurate, but he's definitely been better than this. So unless he just magically gets with that and some genie in a bottle talks to him, I just can't see it. He he's gonna he's gonna get it together now. Just for you, you know how I operate. You know how I operate. So maybe it's heart, maybe it's head. I can't I can't defend the I can't defend the two touchdowns seven. I looked at the numbers. I want I was hoping the numbers backed me up. They, they I can't defend it. He he's looked he's looked bad, but I believe he can turn it around. I believe he can turn it around. I, adaption, training. He going He's too focused. He wanted too bad. You've heard him talk. He wanted too bad. Now, is he going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. I don't think he's going to get there because the AFC's like loaded all of a sudden. But I don't think it's crazy for him to get a wild card. Maybe sneak back and win the division. Maybe depending on what he's going to do. I don't got New England's schedule in front of me right now. I looked at it, but I forgot it now. But I do think he can turn it around. Cam has just done too much. He, pride alone just makes you just want to just dig deep. And you find it. And you can turn it around. You can get these short throws. You can get it going. You know what I mean? Cam is not – he he's not just, you know, some precision pick-you-apart guy. So, what I think him and the offense powers that be, you know, break it down, make it a little easier for him. Instead of trying to read May 5, 6, 7 – well, you can't have seven receivers out there. Instead of making three reads, I did make it two or one. Quick reads. That's what we did in Carolina. As you can't option every time, do an option, an RPO, a triple option, get you a running back, something like that, short, make do it. You know, do what uh, Tom Brady kind of doing out there in Tampa Bay. Do what Drew B's been doing forever. You know, just short, get him a good a good big target, tight end target, possession receivers, get some speed out there. This can happen. It so can happen. I, now, gotta... I, I was ready to, to praise him on, you know, <laughs> look what he did against Seattle, but everybody tap dancing on Seattle. So that's not right. – <laughs> it's, it's, I, I can't really that, – that was my claim to fame. I'm like, damn, everybody dancing on Seattle. But I, I just believe – I just believe Cam can turn it around. I just got to – Cam cannot go out like this. I got to take one not crack like at this. something you said. Have to. Because you kind of left yourself open here. And I know how you are with this subject in particular. So you are not fond of the Saints. And you haven't been fond of the Saints for a while. And the reason you say you're not fond of the Saints is because of Drew Brees primarily and, like, his lack of, like, arm talent and perceived, like, effectiveness nowadays as a quarterback. And you just mentioned him and what they do in New Orleans. So my counter to what you just said is there's a reason why the Saints are not as successful as they can be, particularly in offense, because – Of course, the Saints offense puts up good numbers, but I know it can just be better than that. And the reason I know that is because if they had a better quarterback with a stronger arm, they'd be able to push the field more. What teams have been starting to do against New Orleans is really shrinking the field and daring someone to go deep. Of course, they have like Traquan Smith, uh, who's a fantastic deep threat. But besides that, you, you really are daring Drew Brees to take a shot, and that's when he's messed up the last few years, that's where most of his picks come from or his bad plays or whatnot is trying to push the ball downfield because at this point of his career, he really struggles with it. So my counter to what you're saying is that offense is clearly handicapped. The New England offense is not as talented as the New Orleans offense in any of the sense of the imagination. And uh, I don't think Josh McDaniels is half the offensive mind that Sean McVay is. 
at this point. So with that being said, if you're going to have a simplified offense with Cam with those targets, I just think that's a disaster. Like, I, I think that's what they tried to do against Las Vegas, and it worked because uh, the Raiders were really hampered with injuries. They didn't have Henry Ruggs. They were on, like, third-string tackles and whatnot in that game. Their offense was really uh, all over the place as far as uh, injuries. And, of course, Josh Jacobs had a fumble that really shouldn't have been a fumble in the goal line. So that game, that margin of victory looks a lot bigger than it should have been. But besides that game in particular, they tried to do it. Uh, just this past week against San Fran, really try to shrink the playbook, not make too many reads. A lot of those reads were very easy that Cam was just straight up missing. Um, I remember there was a comeback by Jacoby Myers that he just flat out missed. He was wide open. There was no one in the uh, pressuring him in the pocket, and he just missed it. So what I'm trying to say is I just don't think Cam's good enough to lead this team because I think the ultimate goal of a football team, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're the Bengals, if you're the Jets even, your ultimate goal is to win and try to win the Super Bowl. That's your goal. I don't care how good or yep. bad you are. That's your goal of a football team. So if he doesn't even give you a chance to even make a run, which I don't think he does at this point because you have to bend over backwards and do all these things for him. Like you're saying, oh, let's make the offense one or two reads. You're really like limiting your offense. And then with the defense, that's like you said, regressed since last season with the losses of like Calvin Noy in the middle. I've noticed that's been a huge difference. Uh, guys like Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung um, uh, out for the season because of uh, COVID and their young children. Uh, so with both of those combined factors, I think it's very clear what the Patriots have to do. And that's get some draft capital, get some youth in this organization, which is clearly lacking. Their, their lack of young talent to me is just astounding. For a team that is predicated on undrafted free agents and making all these like moves that make other people look dumb, they're kind of playing a shitty chess game right now in the sense that they don't have talent backed up. They don't have these young assets. There's about J.C. Jackson and Chase Winovich, and the list kind of ends sort of there. They have Michael Owinu on the offensive line, but there's just not a lot of young talent in this organization. So I think trying to groom a young quarterback that has unlocked potential is a much better path in the future than trying to get all this leftover juice that Cam has right now. I actually have a theory why the, the Patriots look like it's, it's nothing to do with Cam, but I just actually have a theory behind that. I would love to hear this <laughs> because you know, there was this whole, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing and there was this division between Belichick and the powers that be. Of course. I'm of the mindset that Belichick was sabotaging the Patriots and he was going to get ready to get up out of there, retire, go somewhere else. But then Tom Brady ended up leaving, so he stayed. So now he's just trying to make up, you know, pick up the pick up where he can. What what you said, a desperation, you know, stuff like that, trying to make do with what he has. I think he was leaving this the cupboard out to dry, and he's gonna leave Tom and Robert Kraft and all everybody else that was, you know, bow down to Tom Brady. He was gonna leave them with nothing. I think he was trying to sabotage that <laughs> roster because he gave away Jimmy. He was giving away everything and left them with nothing, like you said, nothing. I think he was doing that on purpose because the Patriots have been too good for too long to look like this all of a sudden. So here's my counter-argument, and it's very simple. I think you're just giving Bill way too much credit. I think you're on the right track, but your your end result is wrong for one simple reason, and it's just you're giving Bill too much credit. Here's my counter-theory, <laughs> just going off topic a little bit, is uh, 
Belichick is not the best drafter. This isn't new. Uh, he hasn't drafted right. Pro Bowlers since 2014. Only the Bengals can say that as well. And, of course, that streak's going to end for them with uh, Joe Burrow. So uh, now, unless someone like Chase Winovich makes the Pro Bowl this season, that sh- streak is going to continue for the Patriots. He's really the only one right now that I can think of that was drafted by the Pats and has a chance at that right now. Um, so he has been the best drafter. Um, and he hasn't been the best at player acquisitions either. Of course, he's done great in like free agency and undrafted free agency, signing guys like Gilmore, of course, uh, JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones, et cetera. But he's struggled with like trading and whatnot, if that makes any sense. Of course, he traded um, Chandler Jones to Arizona for Michael Cooper, which is a horrible trade looking back at that because. He kept Jamie Collins in essence over Chandler Jones. And if you look at those two players, obviously Chandler Jones has been a much, much better player. And he let go of Jamie Collins immediately after that. So that looks like a bozo trade. Uh, his last really great trade uh, was for Kyle Van Noy. He was a great part of these defenses the last few years. And, of course, he left in free agency to Miami. So I just think that Belichick is not that great of a general manager. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think he's good at player evaluations in the sense that when a player is in front of him, uh, he knows if they're good or not. But as far as like the overarching drafting uh, thing, he's been poor with that, in my opinion, very poor with that. And with, you know, just getting a roster assembled, he's been poor with that. And I think he's a fantastic coach. I will forever think him and Bill Walsh are the best coaches of all time. But I just think the GM job may be a little too much for him. I think it's hard in any sport. I don't care how intelligent you are to be a head coach and a general manager. That's just a lot of work. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's kind of caught up to him lately. And I just think if the Pats had a different general manager, that even just a few things would pan out differently. So I, I always love to bring this one up. Uh, last year, we drafted Nikhil Harry. And Nikhil Harry's number one issue coming out of Arizona State was separation issues. And my <laughs> wide receiver won – on the board was A.J. Brown in that draft. Uh, I have an article on the Sports Wave about it. He was my wide receiver one, and he got drafted later. And, of course, A.J. Brown's been better. Uh, D.K. Metcalf, who's taken at the end of that second round, has been better than Nikhil Harry. Uh, Terry McLaurin, who slipped a little bit because of injury concerns. Uh, he's been fantastic for the uh, Washington football clowns. So with that <laughs> being said, I think they just missed on some, like, layups. I, I think it was a – Brown or DK Metcalf or Terry McLaurin. And I think it was a layup that Devin Asai and Dolan Keene weren't as good as like a Harrison Bryant, who is still on the board this year. And I think why that's such a big issue is because the Pats have needed a tight end. And Cleveland got Harrison Bryant after Dolan Keene and Devin Asai, those two tight ends from uh, Virginia Tech and UCLA, respectively, were drafted. And Harrison Bryant, of course, what, what does he do in his first game of full action? Scores two touchdowns and helps Cleveland propel over. Uh, Cincinnati this past weekend so I think they just had some easy misses that could have been rectified whether it was like personal gain for Belichick if he just like really liked a player more than his tape showed I, I don't know what's going on I'm not saying I'm smarter than Belichick by any means I just think there's something going on where he's missing these easy picks or he's just picking players that clearly aren't as good as another player later. And it's not like it's just one player. It's not like it was just DK Metcalf he missed on. Missed on AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, all these guys afterwards that have been better than Nikhil Harry. So I think you have to notice that when evaluating the Belichick thing. 
because I think it's easy. I, I understand where you're coming from for sure. I totally get it. And it's a theory that makes sense, but I think we just give Belichick a little too much credit. And I think with how Brady's been playing in Tampa Bay uh, at this age, I think we've kind of disrespected Brady a little bit because I was of the mindset for a long time. And I think most of new England was that Brady was fantastic and he'd be fantastic everywhere. But he, it's almost like he was another gear or just this this goat because Belichick unlocked the goat for him. That uh, Brady could be Brady anywhere, but Belichick really helped like harness that. And I think now that theory may be turning a little bit where it was the other way around, where Brady was the goat and he kind of harnessed a little bit of Belichick, uh, another level for Belichick. So that's definitely been interesting to see. I think a lot of that's been a perfect storm. I think Brady and Belichick. Now, if I had to pick, I try not because you know football is hard to do that. But if I had to pick one, of I, I want, I want, I want Brady. I want Brady. That's just me. But I think it was a perfect storm between that division, between just a lot of things happened, and it just worked out. Just and I think it just ran its course. But hey, it ran. It was a beautiful course, I'd say. But it's funny that you talk we, – we, it's funny you talking about franchises and, you know, building and drafting and doing things the right way. Beautifully put, might I add. That was art, what you just said, my brother. Now, let me ask you about – we're going to go from one franchise to another. What the hell is going on in Dallas? What do they do now? Now, because I, I said – I was with a mindset that we know it's – I think they need to bail on the coach. I think they need to blow it to pieces, leave nothing – pay that and do whatever you can with that defense, new coach, do every, put it down to the studs. But, you know, it came out, you know, the powers that be, they found their guy. I, so I think we just pretty much got to watch it happen. So that's what they going to do. We know what they going to do. But what should they do? Okay, so uh, let me just start by saying this. Uh for a lack of a better term, excuse my French, but Dallas is a utter shit show at the moment. Um, it's honestly quite incredible how much of a shit show they are. Uh, so let me unpack this all because there's a lot to unpack on this topic. So let me go with the obvious, the head coaching hire of Mike McCarthy. I made a post on the sports wave on who they should hire, and my hire was Matt Rule for the specific reason that Matt Rule would probably push back against Jerry Jones. He wouldn't be scared to, you know, tell Jerry what's going on, uh, tell it how it is. And the, the ultimate reason why I wanted Matt Rule is because of his track record, which Matt Rule, for those who don't know, is the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and he's been fantastic yep. early on. Uh, mm -hmm. They are at 500, but they've been in every single game. He's looked fantastic as a head coach, and he's done some great things there. Um, and, and Matt Rule started off at Temple, as head coaching career, that is. And Temple – is in the middle of Philadelphia. I wouldn't say it's a great campus by any means. And he made them into a very solid FCS team. Um, and, and they were very good under Matt Rule's tenure. That, that's kind of a thing. Temple doesn't have this huge history of like great players or anything, but Matt Rule made them very competitive as one of those uh, non-Power 5 teams. And he did a great job there. And then in 2013, uh, 14, that era, uh, of course, Baylor was hit by the Arbriles issues of uh, covering up sexual assault. And at that time, by pretty much everyone in the sports media world, that was considered the worst job in sports to have was that Baylor head coaching job coming into that with the loss of like bowl games, and suspensions to the mm. roster and whatnot. And who took that job? It was Matt Rule. 
And Matt Rule, in a very short time, made Baylor from the dumpster fire of college football. Many were calling them they were going to get the SMU treatment, which was uh, the death the death penalty. And SMU hasn't really recovered since. They're they're good now, but it's been like forty yeah, years. Took, yeah, that, that was for SMU to be good. Right. And in less than a decade, Matt Rule took Baylor from one of the worst jobs in college football in uh, the Power Five to almost to the college football playoffs with nobodies on the roster. It was actually incredible. Um, and, and in two places, Matt Rule went, weren't really expected to do like fantastic. And he blew the expectations out of the water. And a lot of that was because of his creativity as a head coach and his evaluation of talent and getting the best out of his talent. You could see how much Baylor has struggled without Matt Rule this year. Of course, they lost talent to the NFL, but they would not be in this position if Matt Rule was still the head coach. So with that being said, I wanted Matt Rule to be the coach of Dallas because I think he could have maximized um, players' abilities. He would have been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, he doesn't take crap. You know, he, he, he'll give it right to you. So he wouldn't be a Jerry Jones yes man. And I think Jerry was scared of that. I think Jerry was scared of those guys that would kind of push back. And Jerry was too busy focused on, like, the big hire, like a Lincoln Riley or an Urban Meyer or whatnot. And I wouldn't say Mike McCarthy was a huge hire, but Mike McCarthy is a household name as far as coaches go. Everyone knows Mike McCarthy as the longtime head coach of the Green Bay Packers. That was kind of a flashy-esque hire in the sense that people didn't think um, Mike McCarthy is like amazing or anything, but he's a, he's a name, you know? So he got a name that was at one time considered one of the best coaches in the league. Of course, Mike fell off hard and got fired from Green Bay. But at one point, he was considered a great NFL coach. So that's my first thing, is they just hired the wrong guy. He missed an obvious hire, and like a Matt Rule, for example. That's just one example. There's plenty other, like an Eric Bieniemy would have been a great hire. Uh, Robert Sala, for example. Just obvious hires of these great names. To go for a name that he knew and he knew would just say yes to him, you know? So that's the first issue. Right off the bat was just a bad head coaching search, missing the obvious. Then the next thing was that roster was put together horribly. It just was. Their offense, um, of course, is experiencing like COVID sit-out issues and, and injuries and all that fun stuff. So I'm not going to go into the offense that much. That's not really their issue right now. Um, outside of Ezekiel Elliott, who I think is criminally overrated, and they don't need to pay him as much as they do. Jesus. But regardless, it's too late now. <laughs> they're, 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 they're pretty fine on offense once everyone's healthy and whatnot. That's not really an issue. Right. I mean, obviously, injuries suck, yeah, and that's why right they're being so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're fine on offense. I'm not a DAC believer, but he's not the, the issue on what's wrong with this team. At no, no. I, I think you can get better than DAC, and I don't think you should pay him, but that's irrelevant to this right now. Uh, the issue is clearly on defense and their like ineptitude of keeping secondary players and drafting secondary players and just, you know, honestly, just not caring about their secondary. And it's really weird because uh, growing up, I remember the likes of um, Orlando Skandrick uh, playing for the Cowboys and he was really good for a little while. And then he turned into the nickname Burn Toast. Uh, for, for a short stretch there. And I remember thinking, wow, this team would be pretty damn good if they just got some corners. And that was less than a decade ago at this point. And now here we are again where their corners are just horrible. I don't know how this continues to happen. They had Byron Jones, of course, for a little while. They let him walk. 
um, and get overpaid by the Dolphins. But what's going on right now is they're drafting just too many, like, flashy players from flashy schools or whatnot. Like, I don't think Trayvon Diggs was the best pick um, where he was. I don't remember if Jalen Johnson was picked before or after, but Jalen Johnson was just clearly a better player than Diggs. Diggs struggled his last season in Alabama, to put it lightly. Like, he was not as good as people kind of propped him up to be, and he he wasn't fantastic in the senior bowl either. So just players like that, they're just kind of, like, not really addressing – needs on the defensive end at all their pass rush demarcus lawrence and that's about it at the moment of course they had everson griffin who they just yeah traded. Just tra- yeah to the lions i believe um yes and their linebacking core again they've been kind of hampered with stuff uh lane vanderesh is really struggling to stay on the field jalen smith's clearly regressed a little bit so it seems like they just put all their eggs in one basket uh that is the offensive side of the football and was just like, oh, we'll figure the defensive stuff out because it played over its head last year, for example. And now it's kind of coming back to bite them. I, I think their defense on paper is better than historically bad like it is right now. I think they should at least be in the mid-20s. I don't know if that's a coaching thing or maybe I'm just overlooking that. But I think um, just in total paying Zeke too much, uh, paying Amari Cooper too much. Eventually, it's going to happen. We all know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to pay Dak too much. They're just focusing way too much on one side of the football. I think um, you got to really focus on just building a team. And I think it's just kind of, oh, you're on the team. We're going to resign you. Oh, you're on the team. We're going to resign you. And it's just kind of a cluster. And they don't really have a plan. I think that's what I'm trying to look for here is Dallas has a lack of a plan. And I think that really starts with Jerry Jones. And it's just – they're trying to grasp on to everything that they have, every piece of talent that they have, rather than actually build a team from the ground up. So basically what it sounds like, it sounds like they ain't doing no homework from the coach. They don't sound like they did any homework with Matt Rule, because I ain't going to lie, I didn't. I had never heard of them before we got them in Charlotte. They're not dra- They're not looking through the draft. They sound like just going to big name, the big name that's on TV that everybody see, but they're not, you know, digging through. They ain't going through that – uh that discount being for like a better terms they're not really going through that being i don't sound like they're doing homework based on what i mean it sounds like you need to be the general manager in dallas right now more so don't old, old jerry or steven what it sounds like it, it sounds like they ain't did no homework and it's funny you was talking about on paper and i agree with you it looks good on paper but i got to looking at the paper but this paper it's starting to look like an expired coupon everybody talk about these pro bowls so i went look you know how long it's been since they've been to the pro bowl I'm talking about it's like 2012, 2011. I'm <laughs> yeah. talking about these old Pro Bowls, not like last year. So I'm I'm of the mindset. I think they just getting the has beens like like you said the the flat is flash all sizzle no steak. It's the PF chains of the NFL. I mean, I'm, PF chains is cool, but you you better off going to the low budget, you know, low health score Chinese food place where, the, where they load you up for the good instead of the fancy place. You get the same thing, and I don't think. I think they got things they didn't need. I I agree with you. I kind of push back with the cam, but I agree with you in lockstep with Dallas. I think they need to blow it up. And I would pay Dak just – I mean, he's not the best, but I think just for leadership purposes, you got to hold on to him. Because you can do a hell of a lot better, but, you know, you can do a lot worse. But I'm – I just want to add one thing sure, with that Dallas go for it. Yes, I just kind of want to talk about how I think they can maybe get out of this. And I just want to start it with the caveat of saying – 
this wouldn't happen unless Jerry Jones uh, passed away, which I'm not wishing for whatsoever, or he just left the, the franchise. So neither of those things are happening probably anytime soon. But anyway, uh, I think they really just kind of got to start fresh and accumulate, accumulate draft capital and get some of those bad contracts and, and big-time players who have any sort of value out of there. I think on offense, you can get rid of Amari Cooper and you can go forward with C.D. Lamb and um, Michael Gallup. Gallup does have drop issues, but I think if that gets rectified a bit, he can be a very solid wide receiver cue to C.D. Lamb. I don't think Amari Cooper is necessary um, for the amount he's getting paid. And with the wide receivers coming out of college the next two years, I think it's more than likely one of those guys you can get in the middle rounds will pop and will be fantastic. Um, and and I think the main issue is what I'm saying is Dallas doesn't really do what I'm saying. And that's kind of pre-plan for the middle rounds and try to get some of these dimes in the rough. They just kind of go out and get random. It's like they have no plan, as I mentioned before, but it's like they're not really focused on improving the roster in places that needs to be improved. It's like they just draft kind of whoever the hell they want, and it's just awkward. And I think if you kind of blow up a few positions, if you let Dak walk, if you let, uh, you know, Cooper get traded, if you trade Zeke, and, and you kind of start with a blanker slate with some people in place, you keep like a Jalen Smith and hope he kind of turns it around. Um, if Lane Vanderash can stay healthy, which it's a very scary neck injury that he's got going on, if he can just stay healthy and he's all good, assuming he's 100%, I'd say keep him too. Keep C.D. Lamb. Keep Adult and Schultz. Keep some of these young guys that have great potential um, and, and then work around that. And I think the issue is they kind of are throwing paint at the wall rather than trying to paint a picture with those guys. And I think if they try to paint the picture, they can do it. I don't think it's that hard because of the talent that is on that team in important places. Uh, their offensive line, when healthy and all good, that's solid. Uh, the wide receiving core, with um, without Amari Cooper, very solid. Right. Uh, Tony Pollard, I think, is a great running back. He's he's not going to be as much as Zeke. Um, he's not going to probably give you the same output as Zeke, but he does other things well. He's a great special teams player, and he's a better pass catching back than Zeke is, and he's faster and he's younger. So keep him around. I think what I'm saying is they are not doing a good job of noticing their young talent and just kind of stacking up on positions uh, haphazardly and then leaving other positions to rot. And I think if they just kind of start over and uh, like maybe at like 40%, so not a total tank, right? but kind of what Cincinnati did almost, where they had one kind of poor year and then now they're not like, great or anything but they're competitive with uh joe burrow for the most part he's keeping them in games so if you get a high pick with a quarterback which uh dallas should be getting a high pick this year assuming everything stays the same you draft a justin fields you draft a trey lance if they're available at the time uh and you start around that guy and then you save your team a lot of money and if that quarterback pans out well then there you go you have a team because if you look at the nfl landscape who's doing great right now the quarterbacks on short deals or the quarterbacks on their first deal. That's it. Look at Brady. He's on a two-year deal. Mahomes, uh, his huge extension hasn't kicked in yet, so he's still on his base deal. Uh, Lamar Jackson's still on his early deal. Uh, you know, and it just keeps going on and on and on. Justin Herbert, of course, yep. a rookie. Herbie. Uh, so you just look at those kind of guys and you see the formula. 
It's you try to strike the iron hot when your quarterback's on its young deal. And I think Dallas did a poor job when Dak was on his uh, rookie deal. So that's my take on that is you start maybe 40% of the way of a rebuild. You automatically progress that this year because you have a high pick on accident, essentially. And then you just go on after that. So I think it's a blessing in disguise for Dallas because I think it is a shit show right now. But they got very lucky um, that unfortunate circumstances happened that allowed them to not get the fans pissed because the fans know why they're bad right now because Dak's hurt and whatnot. So you don't get the fans mad because they know it's injuries. And then you get to progress really quickly afterwards because of that high pick. So Dallas, what Dallas has done, I think they went for what sells instead of for what wins. But during that whole thing, what he failed to realize is winning sales. <laughs> and I think that's the best way to the best the best Always way. Always does, yeah. You know, I mean, if they they win and you know, the everybody gonna come see you. But X, I, I think we all got smarter listening to you. I, I know my football IQs got up. The the listeners' football IQs went up. Great, great stuff. I need you to plug everything the sports wave plug everything podcast i need you to plug it all all right so uh of course follow our instagram the sports wave official um we're gonna be having some new podcasts come out uh test x and then wave talk on the sports wave network of course listen to wayne's please um and i'm sure you'll hear about those more in the future uh follow our twitter uh same handle as the instagram the sports wave official and just make sure to follow our other like brother accounts, the TSW MLB, uh, TSW NBA. And if you want to apply to the sports wave, uh, come to our website, sportswave.net, read an article. Uh, and yeah, it's been fantastic being here. I'm very happy to be here and hear you uh, give me this platform and just talk to you right now. It's been fantastic. So thank you for that. And thank you for doing what you do. Oh, right on, man. You'll definitely be on in future shows. So we'll wrap with you a little later. All right, boss? All right. See you, Wayne. Take it easy. Good, good stuff. Good stuff from Xavier. Again, that's the Sports Wave. You can find it on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Look at their articles. Great stuff. Smart people. Told y'all that boy is no joke. Now, every season, we see a couple things. We see some ineptitude. We see some teams to laugh at. We see some teams that surprises. We see some not so much surprises. And we see sometimes we see more of the same. Ultimately, you can put these all in two different categories. And it's starting to form itself. It's starting to come together as the season progresses. And that's the halves. And the have-nots. Now, so far, I got two teams in the halves, and I got two teams in the have-nots. Now, them have-nots are the teams that have not done anything to turn that corner to get them closer to the promised land that is the Super Bowl. The halves are teams that have turned that corner, that have made the adjustments, that was right there and made the necessary things to do for getting to the promised land. Now, my first half, we ain't gonna lie. One of the halves, the Tampa Bay Bucks. They've cut down on penalties. The offense is looking better every week. And they added Antonio Brown 
and the defense is still top flight. They have changed their culture. This team looks like a team that's in the playoffs all the time, in championship games all the time. Now, we know Tampa ain't been there in a long time. Many moons ago was the Tampa Bay Bucks good. But now, they're good. Actually, they're great. I think they're going to the Super Bowl. Dare I say win it? We don't know. We got to see because a lot's got to happen for that to happen too. But they have definitely separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Somebody not so much, the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I know I'm not saying the Ravens are bad. That's not what I'm saying. They got juice. They got skills. All that. Lamar Jackson. Yes. 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 But what what you do in the playoffs matter. And to me, I don't think they've done anything that's going to warrant them making them get farther. They was good. They're good every season. But I saw them got beat up in the Titans. They're good every year. This was supposed to be a turning corner, but I saw them, you know, get smacked in the face by the Chiefs. And they've done nothing about it. They told me Lamar was going to get better as a passer. He looked about right where he was last year. Yeah, the defense is cool, and they've added up. Clares Campbell, you know what I mean, the Wolfman. So the defense is fine, but that wasn't a weakness. What can you do with the passing attack? Because contrary to popular belief, as much as I love it, you cannot run the ball every play. So until they do a little more, and I know they got Dez Bryant, but hey, I, do we even know what Dez is? I, I think we'd agree there's a difference between the Antonio Brown signing and the Dez Bryant signing. Two differences. So to me, the Ravens have not done what they need to do. Now, a team that has done what they need to do, the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs was about as good as you could get already. And then had the nerve with a straight face to sign Le'Veon Bell. They had receivers. They got a good defense. We know what Patty Mahomes represents. We know how he is. He's probably the top two quarterback out there. Then got Le'Veon Bell to boost that running game with Clyde. Turning the corner. Some people think they're going back, to go back-to-back Super Bowl already. They locked up their quarterback. They got weapons everywhere. Added Le'Veon Bell. And you know why? Because they're not resting on their laurels. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's not about getting to the top. It's about staying on top. It's one thing to win the championship belt. It's another thing to defend it. And they hear the footsteps. They see the Ravens. They see the, the Chargers. I think they do, or they should. Because don't get me started on Herbie now. You heard about what my man X said in Herbie. You know how I feel about Herbie. Love me some Herbie. They see Pittsburgh coming with that defense. They even see the Titans. So what they do, they load it up. Let them know we still in here. We ain't going nowhere. Can't stop. Won't stop. Uh-uh, uh-uh, with the little P. Diddy twitch. But speaking of the Titans... That is my next. Well, I don't know about the Titans. I don't know about the Titans. I'm, I'm, a, res, I'm a reserved feeling on the Titans because they, they seem to be. I'm, I'm not going to take that loss too heavy on them. I'm not going to take that loss too heavy on them. They lost to Pittsburgh. 
But a have-not, I'm ready to put in the have-not category. Seattle. We know about Russell. But I think we've seen enough with Seattle to know Russell's got to be Superman, Batman, and the rest of the Justice League every game for them to win. This defense is terrible, and they've done nothing about it. Nothing about it. The Legion of Boom, them days are over with, which they've been over with, but they've done nothing about it. And I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to come back from 14 points every game. You're not doing that against the Green Bays. You're not doing that against the Tampas. Hell, you might not even do that against the Saints. You can't just put it all on Russ and just expect him to just save you and bail you out every time. I don't care how good he is. It's not going to get it done. Not in the Super Bowl. Not in the playoffs. Maybe not in this division because that division looking pretty good. Have you seen the Rams? You saw what happened with them at Aaron's on Sunday night. So, to me, I, 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 don't, I can't take Seattle serious as a Super Bowl contender. Now, Russell, he's an MVP candidate for sure, but as far as the team and prosperity, it's a have-not. It is a have-not. Now, I may be right about this. I may be wrong. I don't know. I just call it how I see it. Thanks again for X for joining the show. We'll see y'all next time. Now, y'all get on out of here. <laughs> be cool.